Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. Well, as Christians, we should live in submission to the authorities of the world. We learned about that last week as uh, Peter was talking about being submissive to the government, being submissive to those that are over us, obeying laws. And also, we need to submit to the authorities, including in our family, as God has, has put authority in our families as far as the roles of husbands and wives and children and all of those things as God's design is. Because ultimately, if we submit to God's laws, we submit to the authorities, not in unbiblical ways, not if they're calling us to do things that are not Biblical, but as long as we submit and fall under the authorities of others, God will vindicate us in the end. You see, often when we come to passages about submission, I, I feel the burden of having to spend a lot of time explaining it because, uh, quite honestly, submission has been such a divisive word in our culture. You see, the purpose of submission is not, or excuse me, the purpose of submission is to build unity. But unfortunately, when it is applied in unbiblical ways, it causes division. It breaks one's spirit. It breaks relationships. You see, the world desires submission to bring one power over another person or system. We see that in the government. We see that sometimes in families. But the Bible desires that the church and the individuals in the church may become one. God calls us to submit to authorities so that we become one. The world does not want us to submit because we lose our sense of identity and we continue to be divided. Is it any wonder why everybody is making their identity of what they identify with as their main priority in their life? That is why we are divided as a world. That's why we are divided as a nation. And that's why sometimes churches are divided because it is that person's way rather than God's way. You see, the Bible teaches that putting the needs of others before your own honors God. The Bible teaches that putting the needs of others before your own honors God. Look at Matthew chapter 5 verses 40 through 45. It says, if you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry a gear for a mile, carry it two miles. By the way, if you've ever heard the term second mile faith, this is where that comes from. And then it says, give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. You have heard the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your neighbors, excuse me, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And in that way, you will be acting as true children of your father in heaven. Webster says that submission is the act of accepting or yielding to another's authority or control. But the biblical submission is not about being weak or inferior to someone else. It is about finding strength in the will of God and in the design of God. You see, this is his world, his rules, and his blessings when we follow them. So Peter continues his theme of biblical submission that he began in chapter 2. And what we learn here, we saw last week, we see this week, is that everyone submits to someone. Everyone submits to someone. We submit to the laws placed over us. 
When we don't, we reap the punishment. Every relationship has one who leads and another who submits. If not, the relationship is doomed because they're always at conflict. I mean, think about this. If, if neither one in a relationship will submit, then there's going to be nothing but friction and friction and friction until it breaks. But then if you have two people in a relationship that all they do is submit to one another, no one's leading. There's no passion. There's, there's no direction. And it just kind of fizzles out. So we see here that Peter is applying biblical submission to different areas of a believer's life. In chapter 2, it was government, our employers, and even to Jesus. And so today, we look in our marriages and our relationships and with other believers. Now, we start with verses 1 through 6. And the thing I love about this is that sometimes I think, you know, we've got so many young couples and young married people in here. Maybe we ought to do a, a series on marriage or maybe we ought to do a, a topic on this. But the thing I love about this, by just going through the book of the, of the Bible, it's doing it for us. And so some of you, this is going to be information you need right now. For some of you, it's information that you've used. And for some of those, quite honestly, it may be information you don't want to hear. But... Let's just stay true to God's word. Let's read it and let's see what it says. It says, first of all, number verse 1, in the same way, because remember he was talking about government, he was talking about your jobs, he was talking about Jesus, in the same way you must accept the authority of your husbands. Then if you refuse to obey the good news, your godly lies will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Now, man, before you bow your chest out and say amen and want to say, okay, let's, let's d- dig down on this preacher. Don't worry. Your time is coming. My time is coming. But for a background of this verse, what it's saying is that at the time Peter wrote this, when the man of the house became a Christian, when the man of the house became a Christian, it was his priority. It was his expectation. It was his job to make sure that the family also was coming to church. It wasn't the wife or the mother begging the husband to get up and to come to church. It was the husband that was supposed to be doing that. So, in this culture that it is written, we see that this is the case of the Philippian jailer. In Acts chapter 16, you see the jailer got saved and he made sure his entire family got saved. His entire family came to know the Lord through the gospel. Folks, men, it is our responsibility, whether we don't have children like me or whether we do have, some of you have children, some of you have grandchildren. Men, we are the point men in our families. It rests and falls on us. You say, wait a minute, preacher, you're supposed to be talking about the wise. Well, I am. I'm getting there. But... We see in this case, if a Christian woman who came to church alone began to assert her freedom in Christ, it would go against the Roman law of the husband or father being the authority over all members of the household. So if if the wife came and got saved and then went home and said, I don't have to do what you said because I'm a Christian now. Then all of a sudden there's friction in the home. And because the husband is supposed to be there, the woman has found this new freedom in Christ and she does not want to submit to him, then there is friction. That is a situation that Peter is writing about. 
If a woman demanded her rights in that day, it could impact her marriage relationship as well as the relationships with her family. If her husband refused to obey the good news and was not a believer and would disapprove of her rebellion, so to speak, it would be very easy for the husband to say, okay, you're gone. And then back in that day, not unlike some situations today, when there is a divorce and the wife is separated from the husband and the family, there's poverty, there's hurt, there's all of these different things. And so it's not a great thing, but in that day, if if she would have found her freedom in Christ and then gone home and exerted that freedom in a, in a uh, bully kind of, you can't tell me what to do now, she would have found herself on the street, or even worse. So Peter's saying, look, just... You have this freedom in Christ, but that doesn't mean that you are better than your husband. It doesn't mean that you have this super authority. And so he continues to say that that uh, wives live out the gospel through your actions. Peter advises wives to live out the gospel to their husbands through their actions, not by nagging them and not by preaching to them. You see, women, however, I have to say this, women do not need to support to every man. Don't think that Preacher James is getting up here and bashing women and telling them that they're, they're not equals and they're not able to do it. That's not what this is saying. The Bible is not saying that. Go back and read the verse for yourself. What does it say? You wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Your husbands. Not every man. The one that you have promised your life to. The one that has promised to give his life for you, the one that has promised to love you and take care of you. So Peter carefully observed that wives are called to submit to their own husbands and not to men in the general sense. The role of male leadership in the Bible, the principle for male leadership is found in two places, in the home and in the church, but not for society in general. The concept of submission is seen throughout the New Testament, Jesus submitted to his parents. Demons submitted to the disciples. The unseen spiritual beings submit to Jesus. Wives submit to their husbands. Husbands submit to Jesus. Servants submit to their masters. And all Christians submit to God. Look at verses 3 and 4. Don't be concerned about outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourself instead with the beauty that comes from within. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. <laughs> Woo! I'm not going to be the one up here telling women what they ought to wear and what not to wear. Or how they ought to look with their makeup and how they ought to not look without their makeup. And that's not what Peter is doing here either. Don't read into this and say, okay... Uh, Preacher James is going to bash women to wear makeup. Preacher James is going to bash women to wear this, wear that. Look, what he is saying here is that Peter is not forbidding a wife from looking nice and dressing up. But what he is saying is that godly women must focus more on their inner beauty rather than their outer beauty. Here's the thing. Is that... (laughs) The women of that day, they looked like some of the television evangelist wives back in the 80s and 90s. You know, where they had all these huge, 
huge wigs and so much makeup that if they fell on their face, they'd slide for 10 feet. I mean, it, it, it was quite a spectacle. And still today, you can, you can see that today. And so what he was saying is that, look, wear what you want to wear, be what you want to be, but don't do it just to be seen. Don't focus so much on your outward appearance that you forsake the inward appearance. I mean, I think today of all the, the, uh, the surgeries and the injections and the, the things that, that men and women do to stay younger and to look younger, the, the amount of money that is spent on, on, I guess what they would say, vanity. But Paul, Peter is saying here, he's saying, look, focus more on the inner beauty than outer beauty. And man, I don't want you to take that for granted. As a man, you may think you know what your wife is going through, but you have no idea the insecurities that they have. It can be something as simple as walking out and going to a, a restaurant and they see a woman that they think looks prettier than them. They see a woman that they think looks younger than them. And if you are stupid enough to look at them, they're going to think that you have a problem with it too. They're very insecure. It doesn't mean that they're bad, it's just that they're insecure. That's why they need us to reassure them. That's why they need us to keep our eyes on them. That's why they, they, and let them know, look, they don't need all of this stuff. If they want it to look pretty, that's great. But at the end of the day, they'll have makeup on their corpse, but that's as far as it goes. It's not going to go with them. Ladies, let me just implore to you. Look, there is not a sin in looking nice, whether you are young or old. And there is not a sin if you don't care. You just want to show up as is. That's fine. But it's not the condition of your makeup that God is worried about. It's the condition of your heart. Men, hear Peter as he's saying here, look, love your wives. Reassure your wives. If they want to be pretty, let them be pretty. But make sure that it's coming from the inside out, not a way to win approval or to win love. Because I'm going to go ahead and tell you, ladies, if the way you get a man is by the way you dress and the way you put your makeup on, that's what you're going to have to keep him with. But if you if you win him over because he sees your heart and your heart for God, that is that is eternal. (coughs) So we see that true godly beauty comes from within, not outward appearances or the opinion of others. Godly beauty is not something that you can buy in a cream or a spray, but rather something that is developed over time through kindness, compassion, and inner strength. Ladies, I'm going to tell you, y'all look great today. If nobody has told you, your husband better have told you, or your family better have told you, you look great today. But you know what? That's not what makes you beautiful. What makes you beautiful is God. And what he's doing inside of your heart. Verses 5 through 6. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband. Abraham called him her master. You are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands may do. When I, when I think of this, I think of... You know, Donna always apologizes to me when we go out or she'll ask, like if we're going to get up early on Saturday morning to go grab some breakfast at a restaurant or something, she'll say, do you mind if I don't wear makeup? And I'm like, no, I, I don't mind one bit. I mean, guys, come on, how are you going to answer that question? <laughs> 
Or you're going to say, yeah, you need to throw something on. You can always paint a barn, right? <clears throat> no, you don't want to say that. You don't want to say, yes, you need to put some on. And you really are so, when you say, no, you don't need to put anything on. But regardless of the, the trick of that question, what I try to get Donna to understand is that no matter what she looks like on the outside, it is her heart for God and her heart for me that is what makes her irresistible to me. Husbands, remind your wife of that. They don't need to be dolled up. They don't need to be prim and proper. They could be sweatpants and no makeup going to get some breakfast. And they're just as beautiful. They're not going to feel that. They're going to ask you, what do you think about this? And you, as the husband, need to reassure them. Women, this does not mean you don't try to look your best. This means live out your faith and live out your responsibilities. And it means do what's best for you and your family and what Christ is doing in your life. Then we see, he says in verse 7, husbands give honor to your wives. He says, in the same way you husbands must give honor to your wives, treat your wife with understanding as you live together. (coughs) Charles Swindoll says this about living together. He says, living together is more important than just sharing a home, than sharing a bed or a bank account. It's about being emotionally connected and prioritizing your relationship. It's about feeling completely at home with your partner and knowing that you can always count on them. Notice the verse says, she may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. Here we go. Here's going to be the politically incorrect part of the passage, but I'm just going to explain it to you like it is written. Just as a wife is to honor her husband, her husband is to honor his wife. Man, if you're going to honor your wife, you're going to make her your priority right behind God. Even before the children and before your extended family and before your job. Your wife comes before your children. They come before your job. Does your calendar represent that? Does your wallet represent that? Does the time you spend with her represent that? Are you honoring your wife? You've got to spend time with your wife, listen to her, and know what her needs are, and growing an understanding of her. You can't lead someone whom you don't understand. The days of you just telling your wife the way it is and her falling in line, that is not what the Bible is teaching. The Bible is teaching that you honor your wife. She was a gift that God gave to you for you to shepherd and pastor. <clears throat> now, I know that there are probably some women here saying, Preacher, I am, not, I am not anybody's project. I am my own person. And I am certainly not weak. I'll whip my husband if I want to. So when Paul says that the woman is weaker than you are, I hear alarms going off. But here's the thing. Weaker does not mean inferior or less than. A wife may be weaker than you are, husbands, but when it comes to the, the, 
the family, when it comes to your relationship with the Lord, when it comes to the eyes of the Lord, you and her are equal. As a matter of fact, you have a little bit more responsibility because he's holding you responsible for the way you lead your wife. Weaker does not mean inferior. It says she may be weaker than you are, but as an equal partner of God, treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. Folks, Peter was referring to a woman's physical limitations, not her drive, not her intellectual ability, not her stamina, not her strength, not her determination, just simply her physical limitations. And folks, I'm sorry, but no matter what they're trying to tell us in the media today, it is pure science that most women, not all, but most women cannot meet the same physical requirements as men. So here we have a graph. There we go. Here we have a graph, and this was just a, a little bit of did. And so you see 0% is the baseline. And then on the bottom you see things like track and field in the 100 meters, 400 meters, 1,500 meters, marathon, swimming, swimming, in the different 100 meters, 1,500 meters, cycling, Weightlifting in the clean and jerk, and then weightlifting in the snatch. And so, what we see there is that all of these are percentages of all the records that have been obtained. This is how less, or how slower, and when it comes to running, or how much less weight when it comes to weightlifting, women do than men. <coughs> is this a sign of inferiority? Is this a sign of women not being as good as somebody else? Absolutely not. They are women. Now, there are some that will beat the curve, but look, I am not trying to, to, to pick out. This is just, you can Google this and you can find this information on your own. This is no, this is no spin. This is just science. And so that's why we have women's classes in sports. That's why we have women's divisions in competitions because they are physically weaker. Now still, women can be first responders. They can be soldiers. They can be athletes and they can, they can thrive and they, they can be in physical demanding jobs. I'm not saying that they can't. I'm just saying that what Peter is saying here is that they are weaker. <coughs> Not in the sense of society, not in the sense of less than, but just because God has made them to have less physical strength than men. So because of that, this has come to the forefront today because there are males identifying as females who are mediocre when they compete with their own gender. So they consider themselves women and compete in the women brackets so they can excel. In their sport. And the world is defending it. I never thought that we would have mainstream thoughts and theologies of today, ten years ago, about these kind of things. But that's another message for another time. Still today, even the strongest woman alone can be seen as a prime target. You see, Donna Strickland is the strongest woman I know. Why? Because she puts up with me. 
But still, every moment I can, I will pump her gas and run errands for her so she doesn't have to go out by herself and do it. Does that make me a male chauvinist pig? No. It just means that I know that if she's out by herself, she's got a bigger target on her back than if we're together or if it's me. Don't get me wrong. We all have targets on our back. But I just know that I would rather not put her in that situation. Does it always happen? No, sometimes she does pump her own gas. Sometimes it happens. But men, if you want to honor your wife, you will not expect them to work a job, manage a home, raise the children, take care of all your needs without volunteering to pitch in. Men, if you're upset because you're not having happy time and you haven't pitched in to help with the duties, it's your fault, not hers. Did I just say that in church? It's the truth. If you're not getting physical, emotional attention you feel you deserve from your wife, men, do not retreat into your own minds and your bad habits and start looking at things that you shouldn't look at, but chip in, make her load lighter, and show her that you honor her effort and you honor her as your wife. She is not simply your mother. She is not simply someone that was put on this earth to meet your needs. You are to honor your wife and you are to meet her needs. If you were to do that, submission would not be an issue. A man is to pay attention to maintaining his intimacy, to give attention to his wife's struggles or goals and the pain of her past. Treating her with understanding means more than just knowing her favorite foods and favorite hobbies. It means listening to her. Some of the greatest things you can do when you come home from work after you rest for a minute is just sit down and listen to her day. Notice that there are track marks in the carpet where she ran the vacuum. Notice that she went above and beyond on something. Maybe fix dinner for her that night. Listen to her fears. Soothe her wounds. Share her dreams with her. And be the partner that God had created you to be for her. Because not treating your wife right, it will hinder your prayers. I mean, think about it this way. It says in Matthew 5, 23 and 24, it says, So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice at the altar, go and be reconciled with that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. We always think about that verse as if someone's mad at us, we're mad at them, we've got a problem, we leave it at the altar, go fix it, and then move on. But we never think about the problem we might have is with the person we're living with. How can we worship God where we know that we're not doing, men, what we should do as husbands? Wives, how can you come and worship knowing that you're not doing the things God has called you to do when really we ought to just... Break our hearts. We ought to just remember why God brought us together. And we should serve one another and obey God's rules for submission under authority and live under that and then experience the blessing to that rather than always living under it, feeling guilty, frustrated, and worn out. When you don't play with God's creation, if you don't play by God's rules, it's inefficient and you will wear yourself out. You will wear your relationship out. No one that I have ever married has come to me and said, James, our plan is to be married for three years and then divorce. 
Our, our plan is, is to, to build the American dream, get our, our big yard, get our big house, get our boat, get all these different things, get our children till about the time they're 12, 13, 14 years old, old enough to understand, and then we're going to get divorced. That's our plan. Or better yet, they're going to go to college, and then once they leave the house, we're going to look at each other like strangers, and then we're just going to start over with somebody else. It happens, doesn't it? But it starts in the very small little things. A husband who refuses to align himself under God's agenda and value and appreciate the contributions his wife has, you better know that if you can't honor your wife, God's not going to honor your prayers. Not my words, Peter's words. So men, you will never be a spiritual giant unless you take your responsibility to honor your wife seriously. That's what Peter's saying. Some have learned this the hard way. Some of you listening to this message today need to make corrections. And I'm not saying you, there's fingers pointing back at me. I'm living what I'm preaching. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm not perfect. I still got to try to figure this stuff out. But it doesn't take away the fact that this is what God's telling us to do, man. Wives, submit to your husbands to make the way for him to lead. Quite honestly, with some of you, your husband may not be leading because you won't give him the room to do it. For those of you who refuse to submit to one another, to God, and his role for your life and your family... Let me ask you something. How's it working out for you? Then we see verses 8 through 12. Be Christ-like, not a jerk. Boy, that sounds like a a good uh, theological term, right? Be Christ-like, not a jerk. Look at verses 8 through 12. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. See, unity. When we submit under God's authority to the roles that he has given us, When we submit to that, we are one. Peter is saying, finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tenderhearted and keep humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do. And he will grant you his blessings. For the scriptures say... If you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongues from speaking evil. So there you go. If you want a happy life, keep your mouth shut with bad words. Was it your grandmother used to tell you? If you can't say anything good, but don't say anything at all. Conversations would go way down if we practice that. He says, and keep your lips from telling lies. Folks, you don't build yourself up. You don't build yourself up while tearing others down. We should have learned that in middle school, but we didn't. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and the ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns His face against against those who do evil. Now you know, preachers, we like to have lists. We like to have acronyms. We like to have 
things for you to take notes on. And this is not some kind of slick thing I came up with. If you just take the scriptures right here, you can see the profile of a true believer. It's right there in your passage. Number one, be of one mind. In your marriage, be of one mind. In raising your children, be of one mind. In your conviction about what the church is going to play in your life, be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. You're not going to be on your A game every day, folks. What I have found in marriage, and maybe y'all have found this too, is that when one is weak, the other is strong. When one is sick, the other one is well. That got very rare times where it doesn't happen when both are down. That's God's design. Love each other like a brother and sister in Christ. Donna is my wife, but she is also my sister in Christ. Yes, that is weird, but it's true. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are children of God. Then we must be tender-hearted, and we must be humble. This goes in how you treat others. This also goes in how you treat your spouse. And the response of a true believer would be, don't re- retaliate with insults. Keep your tongue in check. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace. Folks, seeking peace is not a passive process of just, well, I'll see it when it comes. You have to actively promote and search for peace. Know that God is watching. And last, what it says, you don't want God working against you. Because what it says, but the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. What are you known for as a believer in a church? Too many church congregations are characterized by attitudes and actions that are downright shameful. There are many churches today that are known for their fights instead of their faith. Jesus said the world would know that we are Christians by what? By our love. John thirteen thirty five. Second Corinthians five twenty says that we are Christ's ambassadors. Folks, if we don't show them Jesus and the way that we live and the way that we treat one another at church and most importantly outside of church and the way we treat our family. That is the Jesus that people are seeing. You may think. Well, let me just say this. Your submission honors God. Your submission honors God. I wanted to show you one other verse. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8, where it says, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. So here's where Peter just throws the gauntlet down. And I think I could probably just said this at the beginning of the sermon and that would have been sufficient. But we honor the authorities that God has placed over us. We honor our spouses in the way that we submit and lead them in the same way that Jesus Christ left his throne, left his glory, and came to this world and submitted to his own father even unto death. If Jesus could do it, and you are a follower of Jesus, you can do the same. I asked you earlier, and I'll ask again. 
For those of you who refuse to submit and honor one another, how is it working out for you? I hope your refusal to submit to God and his established order is worth it in the end, because one day it will end. Submit today or submit on your last day. Today you have a choice. Tomorrow you won't. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Oh, what, what a message, Lord. It gives us help, Lord, and encourages us, Lord, to follow your plan and design that is right here in your word. If there is anything that I have said that is not based upon your scripture and not scripturally accurate, Lord, I will confess and repent of that and ask people to just not remember that thing. But this stuff that we read today, Lord, is right out of your word. It is your plan for our lives, Lord. And as your Holy Spirit is moving in the hearts of folks. Don't let it be something where they know they need to make a change and you're speaking to their hearts now and as soon as they hit the parking lot, it's going to be gone. God, there may be somebody that needs to make a decision today, a decision to make their lives submitted to you, to accept you as their Savior and Lord. Maybe there is a family that wants to submit itself to you, Lord, and commit to you today. Maybe there's someone who just wants to come to this altar and pray. Maybe someone wants to join this church or get baptized, Lord. Whatever the decision is, may it honor you, Lord. If it's honoring to you for us to walk out of here, then let us do it. But if it's honoring to you for us to get real with you, Lord, may we do that as well. Because, Lord, the opinion of those people in this room really at the end of the day is not going to matter. But, Lord, if we can't make decisions to be real in front of this crew, who can we? If we can't make it here today, Lord, where can we? We love you, Lord. May this time be a time for you to respond through our people. In your name we pray. Amen.